Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Well, hello and welcome to the Dividend Cafe. I'm recording our video and podcast here this morning, actually looking out at the beautiful Pacific Ocean, but instead of doing that from my office in Newport Beach, we're doing it from our team retreat uh, where we have been doing our offsite meetings, our kind of annual get together uh, for the last couple of days and, and you know, run downstairs here when I'm done recording to uh, get back to that. And it's been kind of fun because, you know, our team is 40 people now and we have four offices around the country and we didn't do one of these events uh, last year. And so it's just been a very nice time of regrouping and and really actually some pretty substantial changes on some things that we think are really exciting and and, uh, uh, additive for our business going forward. Uh, But nevertheless, the Dividend Cafe this week is a pretty healthy one. There's a lot that's gone into it. And and I want to spend our time today talking about these kind of economic issues that we think are, are relevant and interesting right now. And what happens is you get like, uh, let's how we say offshoots of the key economic matters that become the economic matter in the press and the, in the way we talk about it and the way we think about our portfolios. And so you get a lot of talk about Fed uh, activity. You get a lot of talk about bond yields, really granular. You, you look at like, what's, why didn't gold prices go up last year? What's going on with inflation? There's all these different topics and they're all relevant. They're all actionable. And, and I want to constantly use the Dividend Cafe and my talks with you here on the podcast and the writing I do to bring it back to the core heart of the matter, which is always, I think, in this environment, some aspect of the debt levels that exist in the global economy. And most of the things I just said, all of the things I just said, most of the things I could say stem off of that conversation in one way or the other. So this week I was, um, I encountered two different things uh, as it pertains to the deficits and what will happen in 2022 that I felt compelled to write about because both things I disagreed with and they were on opposite sides of one another. And I disagreed with both and not because I was in the squishy middle. Um. In, in one case, there's those saying, God, I'm a little, and they're very hardline Keynesian, traditional Keynesian, but they're pointing out that global, uh, excuse me, U.S. fiscal policy stimulus, the, the uh, additive fiscal spending that, that um, was a certain percentage of GDP is going to be coming down. And the reason is not because all of a sudden we've grown fiscally responsible or that, you know, God forbid there's any budget cuts. But just simply because there was a ton of uh, bazooka spending in 2020 and again in 2021 around various COVID measures. And those things are mostly one and done. There's a couple that had multi-year expenditure allowances. But for the most part, these big one-time transfer payments, the PPP endeavor to small businesses, uh, a lot of the spending, you know, went to immediate vaccine distribution and, and so forth. You can go through the whole kind of P&L of it all, but um, 
they're all in the category of being initial expenditures that really boosted spending as a percentage of GDP and has come way down. And so I hear Keynesians going, yeah, that's really concerned about that. That's a negative thing. And, and, and it is not remotely negative, okay? Right sizing or bringing down that level of excess spending, that spending was not stimulative. Some, I'm totally open to the idea that some of it was justified. I don't believe all of it was, but that's not my point. I'm not gonna sit here to say what I think was a good use of government uh, uh, expenditures and what wasn't, because I certainly recognize that reasonable people can disagree about that. But economically, it wasn't like this was our most productive use. Like in 2019, nobody was saying, you know, it'd be great for the economy in 2020 is if we go just flood a bunch of money out for this and that and, you know, the various COVID emergencies. Um, that's classic broken window fallacy thinking for those of you who are familiar with the great Friedrich Bastiat. My argument would be that that level of fiscal stimulus as percentage of GDP coming down this year is not a negative thing. But then I totally disagree with this other school of thought that is looking at the level being much lower. And what I'm referring to is current deficit spending, that the current deficit as a percentage of GDP comes down because the add-ons the add to the national credit card the rate at which we're doing it is decreasing. We're going to add a ton of money to the national credit card this year, but it's true. It'll be less than it was last year when you had those big extra spendings. So they're seeing this, uh, they're more fiscal hawks saying, hey, good, we're bringing that down. That's a really good thing. And I'm saying, yeah, sorry, not really. Um, there, you, know, you could also argue, I put a chart in Dividend Cafe, the level of global debt trading at a negative yield has gone from like 18 trillion to about 10 trillion. And so that's that's a good thing. There's less irrational allocation to capital out there. But fundamentally, the reason why I want to kind of hold in the, the enthusiasm here is that the amount of debt we've accumulated is the fundamental issue, not the rate of growth in the current um, deficit. You have a debt as a percentage of GDP that 15 years ago was 36% in the United States, and it's now well over 100%, okay? Two years ago, it was 79%, and it's now well over 100%. That is not coming down. The rate of growth to it is slowing, but what we have is a very sizable amount of debt as a percentage of GDP that has blown out. It was growing, growing, growing for years before COVID. And then it got hockey stick growth during COVID. I would argue that the key numbers are here. 154% of debt to GDP is government debt. That includes the debt that all that people, uh, uh, that the government owes other people, whether it's foreign countries, investors, banks, and then intergovernmental debt, you know, what they owe to uh, themselves, intergovernmental transfers, that has to be paid too. Whatever metric you want to use, that number skyrocketed in the United States and is going higher still. But then you have the total amount of debt as a percentage of GDP, which includes private debt, corporation debt, uh, households, things like that, and that's 388%. Now, Japan's well over 650. United Kingdom is over 450%. 
Um, there, there are higher levels in European block and, and, and obviously Japan. But my point in bringing up the private sector debt is this, and I've written about it a lot. That is debt, theoretically, that has a more productive capacity than governmental debt, which can help drive economic growth, except for now that productive boom has happened. I always have to make a distinction. It's sort of like an eschatological comment. There's a difference between levering and being levered. The process of reflating can be very productive. Once you're there, having that debt sit there limits the ability, the law of diminishing return, a law of marginal utility, that limits the ability to grow that effectiveness going forward. So right now you look at how corporate America, particularly a lot in private equity and private credit space, post-financial crisis, they've done really productive things with that debt. So that's categorically different than a lot of what you might see in the governmental debt side of things. But those borrowers are now levered. The good borrowers and the good projects and the good activities to borrow money to go do and get productive activity out of, it has kind of run its course. Now, I'm not saying there's no more activity or no more borrowers, but it's limited. There's downward pressure there. So when we look at the reality of debt and we see there's, oh, by the way, just a ton of charts in DividendCafe.com all pointing to this, you see the diminishing return of debt, and then you see what it does to GDP growth and how below trend line we are for quite some time. The real economic GDP growth has declined significantly. There's a lot of economic implication to declining economic growth by definition but I've been writing for a long time that there's a lot of social and cultural implications. Real GDP growth exacerbates class envy. It exacerbates social divide. It creates kind of insane populist political movement. Does any of this sound familiar? Okay. So to kind of simplify things and then let you go, I listed out in dividendcafe.com and I'm going to run through it real quickly right now for you the just kind of quick sequence of how this has played out and where we are in the timeline. Number one, a society lives above its means. You could talk about Greece whenever they started doing it. You could talk about European Union. You could talk about Japan back in the 80s. You talk about the United States, I would argue, mostly throughout the 2000s. Society lives above its means. Number two, that ends up creating excesses. It creates problems, economic hardship. And then number three, to remedy that economic hardship, the government throws more fiscal spending and the Fed throws more monetary accommodation at the problem. So uh, you treat the problems of excessive spending with more spending. And then number four, that leads to some periods of feeling pretty good and improved metrics, but they're not sustainable. Then number five, you see the things in number four start to soften so that leads you to do more in number three, rinse and repeat. You get this hair of the dog economic cycle. Where we are now is in phase seven. You find yourself societally with too much debt. That means less future growth, as we talked about, at a time when people are clamoring for more growth. So you make up for what you can't give people with greater growth by giving them more fiscal and monetary accommodation, which was what put the downward pressure on growth to begin with. Rinse and repeat again. Then you get to number eight, which is where we are right now. 
some of the unintended consequences of number seven have to be undone from time to time. You get excesses, you get booms, you get um, price escalations, you get distortions, whatever the case may be. Then those reversals um, take place. And all of a sudden you see different things that impact portfolios, impact economic activity. So I think we're coming out of phase seven, going into phase eight, and, and I don't have a phase nine for you. I can just safely forecast that number nine is going to look a lot like a reset of number three, where they go back to trying to remedy the, the uh, challenges and economic growth that were caused by a society living outside of its means with more fiscal monetary accommodation. So bottom line implications, and then I'll let you go. Um, in a secular and structural sense, uh, you're not going to get bond yields back to historical levels. Now, people can say, well, the Fed's done tapering. And I put a chart in Dividend Cafe today showing you, you had a 2.5% yield on the 10-year when they were done with QE3. And four years later, they hadn't bought a single bond, and they had let a ton of bonds run off. And four years later, where was the 10-year? Still at 2.5%. Um that's a byproduct of other factors besides excessive indebtedness. I think that's the biggest factor, but I acknowledge there's a big demand for dollars. There is a global uh, need for safety. There are inadequate solutions. Many other countries that don't want what their country has to offer and they want what America has to offer by way of treasury safety and superiority. All of these de demographic and economic and geopolitical and global realities put downward pressure bond yields on top of this excessive indebtedness that suffocates growth. Then right now, number two, oil prices. 12 months ago, 18 months ago, there was way too much supply and not nearly enough demand. Fast forward to today, there's so much demand, not enough supply. So you get move uh, prices higher in oil while you have this secular environment of bond yields, but oil prices move bond yields higher. The oil bond yields can't stay at, re, at zero bound levels forever. So they naturally come up a bit, but they don't get back to the normal levels they ought to be because of the challenges we talked about. So value stocks like this first dimension, energy stocks like the second dimension, and this seems to be the investing environment that I think we find ourselves in. Uh, value stocks, energy sector, oil prices, bond yields that are going higher but aren't going to go real high. This is kind of the macro and micro environment I'm leaving you with. I even put a chart in, by the way, of what this has meant in mortgage prices. You got really low yields. And then now there's a chart of what the average mortgage has been throughout this whole process and unaffordability at record highs. What's the antidote to unaffordability? It's higher, it's lower prices. So the same dynamic that pushed prices higher, very low mortgage rates has to reverse, ends up leading to lower prices. So I think you'll find the DividendCafe.com filled with charts to be a better graphical teacher uh, and visual illustrator of a lot of things I'm saying today than what I've just very quickly gone through in the podcast. But this is the macro environment we're in right now and all of the other conversations regarding what it's doing to PE ratios and what the Fed's going to do and where gold prices are, bond yields, all of them are relevant, all matter, but they all come off of the greater macro progression of the time we're living in, the multi-decade time 
we're living in that's going to basically encapsulate the kind of beginning of my adult life many decades ago, all the way through the end of my adult life, which I hope will be in many decades from now. And that is living through the economic reality of a period of a society living above its means. That's what I have for you today in the Dividend Cafe. I hope it's been helpful. I hope I've talked as fast as I think I have, and yet not so fast that you had to listen to this podcast in half speed. Thank you for listening to Dividend Cafe. Thank you for watching the video. Uh, I'll be back at you next week from our studio in New York City. I will be back in the frozen uh, uh, streets of Manhattan next week. And we look forward to any questions you may have. And of course, you uh, helping us, if you don't mind, by subscribing to Dividend Cafe as opposed to just uh, uh, going to uh, hear it in your player. Adding a subscription helps us. Thanks so much. The Bonson Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk. There is no guarantee that the investment process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Bonson Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Bonson Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for any related questions.